Welcome to In Scripture Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us while we dive into Scripture to dissect God's Word verse by verse. Listen with us and don't forget to leave us questions and feedback as we journey through His Word. Welcome to In Scripture Podcast. Serge, you could have just opened. Uh, I did. I went. T- tonight's going to be an exciting night, at least for me. I don't know. I'm, I'm really happy that we got together and do another sermon review. Um, we have picked out a preacher really? <laughs> named Tim Tebow. Uh, a lot of you might know him from his sports career. But a lot of you might not know that he. Alex, do you know what sport he played at least? <laughs> Soccer. Football. <laughs> <laughs> uh, technically the same. Um, <laughs> Just kidding. I will say I do know he did stand out for his. Wasn't he the one that had John three sixteen? Yeah, on his on face? His. Yeah. yeah, and he would kneel kneel before every game and pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, definitely a good witness. Definitely a good witness. You know, he's a good. He he loves he loves Jesus and he is involved in human trafficking and all kinds of other ministries that he's trying to he's not <laughs> he's involved in human trafficking he's trying to fight against anti human yeah. trafficking yeah um, and so definitely doing a lot of work right, this is opening up to be a great <laughs> episode um, but you know he went to Biltmore Church which is a church um, that some of our friends go to in Asheville. So I heard about the sermon, heard a lot of rave about it. So I figured we'd uh, all listen into it. Um, obviously the point of a sermon review is to first open the passage that's being preached. And we're looking for mainly three things, sometimes four or five things, but the main foundational three things we're looking for is, is the text read? Is the Bible read? Um, is the passage preached in context is a good background given about it and is Christ and the gospel preached in the sermon. So those are the three basic things that, you know, make a, make a message, a message. Obviously um, there's a lot more. We, we really want to dive into the word. So we're going to see if Mr. Tebow here does these three things. And again, this is a good practice. We encourage everybody to do this no matter where you are, your church, friends, church, if you're listening online, a lot of stuff out there. So always try to look out and try to see if you um, can understand what the speaker is saying. And we know this is only the, the second sermon review that we've done on this podcast, but just to re- reiterate the importance of knowing how to listen to a sermon properly. And that's something that I know you, you hear that and you're like, well, what do you mean knowing how to listen to a sermon? That's what do you, you just sit there and listen, right? Like there's nothing, there's nothing complicated about it. But in reality, I think that is something that is often overlooked in spiritual growth because we're taught how to read the Bible. We're taught how to, how to even pray when you, when you, I'm sure all of you have little kids and you're teaching them how to pray. You teach them what to pray for, what you shouldn't pray for. Nobody ever really teaches you how to listen to a sermon. That's not really something that is ever emphasized in your spiritual journey as you go through, I don't know, Sunday school, or if you became a believer when you were older in your life, nobody ever teaches you how to listen. And I think that's very important because the vast majority of what we learn, aside from opening God's word on our own time and reading it, comes from going to church on Sunday or Wednesday and listening to a pastor or someone preach. And so understanding what you're listening to and what you're listening for is just as important, I would say, as knowing how to open the Bible yourself and read it. 
Because if you don't know what to listen for, you can be listening to the wrong things. You can be listening to things that sway you in the wrong direction. So being able to listen to a sermon and understand what's happening, what's being said, what's being taught, should I believe it, should I not believe it, can I counter it, can I prove it myself? Those are all important things. And I think that's something that we're trying to do here with these sermon reviews. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I want to go with what Mark said. Nobody really teaches you how to listen to a sermon or what to look out for until you really ask because you're like, I didn't understand anything at all or this guy read a passage, but then the rest of the sermon had nothing to do with it. Um, I had these kind of questions and I would ask my pastor and my pastor would say, this is when I was younger. Um, it all depends on what you get for yourself. So you have to look out for things, little crumbs that you can get for yourself and how you can apply it to your life. Um, looking back at it now, I don't think that's a proper way of how a sermon should be. If the, if you don't get crumbs. Yeah, exactly. You should be able to understand the whole point of the sermon. You should be able to get every single part of it. And if there are any questions, you should be able to ask someone and talk about it Mm -hmm. and they should be able to explain it. You should understand everything. And the whole point of the sermon should be the point of the text or the point of the Mm -hmm. text should be the point of the sermon. That's not to say that the pastor's job is just to spoon feed you. Correct. There's definitely um, an expectation of you to be able to still study texts at home on your own time and be knowledgeable mm-hmm. of scripture, reading it constantly, living it out, studying it. Um, you know, Sunday morning sermon should not be your main source main, of food. Your, your yeah. food for the whole week. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the expectations yeah. from any group. Yeah. And... Um, <coughs> You'll hear a lot of us blabbering today, but if you do want to listen to the sermon, which we always encourage without us and without our commentary, just uh, go on YouTube, type in The Good Shepherd, Tim Tebow, and you'll be able to listen to everything um, without us interrupting. But just one last thing I wanted to say, um, Mark, you brought up a cool point that, yeah, we're not taught this. And when people come to the Bible, oftentimes they come with an assumption that what they read, they will understand automatically mm-hmm. without doing any extra homework. That's one of the things people is a rude wake up call when people take a uh, Bible interpretation or a Bible study class on hermeneutics. They assume that what you're going to read, you're going to fully understand and you're going to understand it correctly right away. I think that's a false assumption. Same with a sermon. We assume that the person up there is speaking 100% truth all the time and that if you understand basically what that person's saying that it's a hundred percent true and that you grasping that message a hundred percent. Also, I think a false assumption, it takes homework to do all of these things. It takes homework to understand scripture. It takes homework to understand uh, sermons as well. I think, cause you have to sit down and, and really read what the passage is being preached, right? It takes work. I do want to say that um, our review is more about the preaching than the preacher. Yeah. Um, although sometimes it might be very hard to separate the two, but we're not, against Tim Tebow or anything like that. We just... I've never heard him preach before this. So I think for me, it's, here. it's not necessarily going to be like a biased view against him. He'll always right. be my MVP. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, you went there. Um, <laughs> also, we're going to be playing at 1.25 speed just so that way we can save some time. Um, yeah. It's a 45-minute sermon, yeah. roughly. Yeah. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Ready? All right. Just tell me when you stop and try not to do it every two minutes. <laughs> Two minutes is pretty good. No, but honestly, it is such an honor. I love having the opportunity to be here. Pastor Bruce, thank you so much for inviting us once again. Thank you for loving our church in Florida and speaking into it in so many different ways. Um, Thanks for having a a Gator come back twice here. I know that's a big deal, at least in your own family. So thank you so much. I want to welcome all the other campuses and everybody watching, except if you're in Athens, Knoxville, or Tallahassee. I'm kidding. That's what Grace is for, sort of. Mark, why aren't you laughing? But seriously, I am so honored to be here. 
I love being able to celebrate <laughs> July 4th. I love being able to celebrate freedom. I know Pastor Bruce talked about that last week uh, about freedom, about being able to celebrate our independence and why we get to do that. I know he just said that we don't really have heroes and spiritually, I, I, I believe that because we're all falling short. So literally what sin means is missing the mark and literally all of us have missed the mark. But the reason we get to celebrate Independence Day, the reason we get to celebrate July 4th is because we do have some heroes that have literally gone before us and have fought for our freedom so that we can be here. And can we stop last couple of days, I, I was with some of my context. I think it's July 4th. Um, he makes mention of it multiple times uh, during the sermon. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Um, as far as heroes in the faith, what do you guys think? As, do we have any heroes in the faith, people that we can look up to? Everybody in, in the Bible. I mean, all the apostles, all the writers. When you say heroes of faith, the first thing that comes to my mind is Hebrews 11. Mm -hmm. Hall of Faith. Typically, although that's more about uh, considered fathers of faith, I think, mm -hmm. is the more appropriate probably yeah. term. I think one verse that stands out to me is when Paul says, look up to me as I look up to Christ. Mm -hmm. um, kind of an example. I, I don't think we should idolize people that are not, you know, we shouldn't worship people that are not Christ. Um, the only one we should worship is Christ. God, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the spirit. So we don't, we shouldn't put people up at such a pedestal, but we should take certain things um, and kind of maybe look at them and say, I should be more like that. In they should day. motivate us to be better, to be yeah. more spiritual. There's plenty of people, even from the Puritans, Mueller, Spurgeon, all throughout the ages, there's very big uh, heroes of the faith. We should also look at their, uh, not only their good side, but their bad side and right. kind of realize maybe they, in, in some way, they acted in a way that um, goes against uh, certain principles or whatnot. I say Jacobus Armenius. Let's go. My good buddies who have done that all over the world. And one of them was, was telling me a, a story. And this guy has been a hero and fought more battles than most people. And um, honestly, he's, he's one of our greatest heroes and, um, in the military. And, and fortunately now for the last few years, we've been able to work together to try to, to, um, to rescue as many kids that are being trafficked all around the world. And he does an amazing job doing that. But he, he was telling me a story of him and his team were in Iraq and, and they were traveling in these cars and um, they didn't think anything was going to happen, but they pulled over a hill right into 150 of Saddam's top soldiers and top leaders. And instantly, before they could even think or react, they started getting enemy fire and literally being shot at like crazy. And so instantly they got to make a call. And that call was that they have to be able to split and go into different areas. So they're not one sitting target where all the fire's raining down on. So some of them bail out of the vehicle this way, some bail out this way, and they're all giving commands under fire. And what happens is you have to follow orders and you have to do it under chaos and you have to do it strategically and you have to understand your job, your role, and you have to execute it very, very fast. Well, they only had two machine guns with them at the time. And for these machine guns, one man has to carry the machine gun and another man has to carry the ammo. And each one that carries the ammo is holding between 500 and 1,000 rounds. It is a lot of ammo and it is their job to carry the ammo. And you think, oh, your job is just carry the ammo. No, that is literally how you can attack them back. And it is so valuable. You have to do your freaking job. So when they decide, okay, you're going this way because you have to get an advantage point. One of the guys holding a machine gun and the ammo, they jump out and the guy holding the ammo, it was his first gunfight. And so they get 10, he gets 10 steps out of the truck and all of these bullets are whizzing by and he drops the ammo and he turns and he sprints back to the truck and he dives in. So everybody else gets to their point and they start returning fire and checking to make sure everybody is okay. 
And then one of the guys who has been a warrior for a long time was so upset in the middle of this gunfight, walks back to this guy sitting in the truck, grabs him by the back of the neck and drags him back to his position. And listen, guys, I don't care if you're that baller here that you've been in a lot of gunfights or you're the person that got dragged here today. I believe there's something that God can do here today as well. And you know, we're here because so many people have, we get to celebrate July 4th because we have so many heroes like that that have faced enemies and have faced hardship and faced obstacles. Can we stop? And they haven't flinched. That's why we get to... Um, sorry, I don't feel like I... I just want to say something because he just says that story and then that's it. You know I, what I mean? I was very confused on the second story. Yeah. I, I don't understand the whole machine gun. I think let's listen to the 15 minute mark because he says three different examples back to back to back. And then at 15 minutes, he opens up the passage. So let's stop at the 15 minute mark and we okay. can talk about all three stories. We'll give Tebow the benefit of Good. the doubt. Well, he did say that he pretty much... And, uh, analogized it to the fact that someone dragged you to church mm. pretty much. So is church a battle fight or no, he's no. building rapport. I think you, all these stories he's telling the process of you getting to church is a fight. Yeah. There you go. That's the war zone. See, but the location where they're at the soldiers, they're fighting. All right. Yeah, it's fighting his own flesh. Someone had to <laughs> drag. Serge, you're, you're really helping him out. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be doing that. I'm trying to separate the preacher from the preacher. No, <laughs> I, I no. I'm seriously asking the question. I'm not nothing with Tim. No, I agree. It's it's a little confusing. A exactly. Little confusing. But he did say that someone had to drag you to church. That's what he said. How did he mean that? It didn't make any sense at all with his story. But yes. To celebrate July Fourth, because we we do have. These, these heroes that have fought for us. We do have these MVPs, these most valuable players that have been on the front lines. But why we get to celebrate here in church today is because we really do have an MVP, the most valuable player. And, and that's not any of us. It's, it's definitely not me. I'm so far from that. It's not even Pastor Bruce. He's closer. <laughs> but it is one MVP, the most valuable player. That's why... Even though we get to celebrate our independence, we get to celebrate our freedom in Christ because our MVP came and paid the price for us. That's why we get to really celebrate today. Good point. A couple years ago, I heard a story about Michael Jordan and I grew up loving Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was a... Story number three. He was such a hero to me watching basketball. No, this is two. This is three, yeah. and I got to hear the story of, of Michael Jordan, one of his best games of all time. March 28, 1990, the Chicago Bulls were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it was a, a big game. It was They're both trying to make the playoffs. It was an intense game, and right from the tip-off of this game, Michael Jordan goes off and has one of the best games he's ever played. Some would argue it was the best game of his entire career, high school, college, or pro. This night, Michael Jordan scores 69 points. Most points he ever scored in any game, high school, college, or pro, 69 points. Even one of the quotes from the Cavs players after the game says, it's like he was bloodthirsty. No matter what we did, we could not stop Michael Jordan. Put our best player in, couldn't stop him. Double teamed, couldn't stop him. Ran the triangle in two, all focused on Michael Jordan. Couldn't stop Michael Jordan. For the Cavs, it's like he was unstoppable. The game was an intense game. It goes back and forth, back and forth. But of course, like always, in the clutch time, when it came down to it, Michael Jordan took over. Got it and, and got it to overtime. And then in overtime, Michael Jordan took over and won the game for the Bulls, 117-113. But you see, at the end of this game, the Bulls got in a lot of foul trouble and they had to play a lot of players off of the bench. 
that didn't usually play. And one of those players that had to play a lot, 17 minutes in fact, was Stacey King. See, a lot of you know who Michael Jordan is. Very few of you probably know who Stacey King is. How many of you know who Stacey King is? Alex, yeah, right. do you know? <laughs> You're just raising your hand. No, until this story. Do you he even know who Michael Jordan week, is? <laughs> Football player. <laughs> so Stacey King had to play 17 minutes. Stacey Good King guess. very rarely would ever play 17 minutes, especially in the clutch time, in the heat of a very competitive game. And that night, in playing 17 minutes, at the end, Stacey King had to take four shots. You see, could you imagine if you're coming off the bench and you're playing with Michael Jordan and it is such an important game, you're fighting to get in the playoffs and you watch this dude who's your MVP score 69 points in one of the greatest games of all time and I get to come off the bench and I get to take four shots and then I missed all four. Because Stacey missed all four of his shots, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I am a sucky teammate. <laughs> like Michael has 69 points and I get to play and I'm 0 for 4. But you see, after Stacy missed his fourth shot, he got fouled. And so he goes to the free throw line and you can just imagine the crowd's going crazy, saying a lot of stuff that I wouldn't repeat, especially here. <laughs> and he's trying to block out the noise and ref tosses him the ball and all the pressure's building. He's thinking, oh my goodness, game's on the line. Playoffs are on the line. I'm playing with the best player of all time. I don't care what you have to say. Amen. Best player of all time. <laughs> what? He's got 69 points and I'm 0 for 4. You know, this sounds a lot dribble, less awkward dribble. when it's sped up. <sighs> okay. Shoots. Miss. Misses it. Oh, dang it. All right. You know, Jordan comes over, daps him up, a few of the other teammates, and Jordan's probably like, well, get ready to fight for the rebound because he's probably going to miss, you know? <laughs> All right. Block it out. Block it out. Here we go. <sighs> Steps back up. Ref tosses him the ball. <sighs> dribble. Dribble. Deep breath. <sighs> Shoots. Makes it. Oh, you can just imagine the sigh of relief for him. He's like, yes, I actually did something for my team. And so the next couple of series goes by and, and Jordan takes over and they win 117-113. And all of the media um, runs onto the court because they want to be the first ones to get a quote from, from Michael Jordan because he had one of the best games in the history of the NBA. But all the security um, kind of escort him all the way to the back a lot like I see they do with Pastor Bruce. So it's cool, man. MVPs, you know. And so they escort Michael right back into the locker room. And so the media runs over to, to, you know, a lot of the teammates and, you know, a lot of the more well teammates, but a few of the media run over to Stacey King and they just say, Stacey, how unbelievable was tonight? Can you just describe tonight? Can you put in, just, can you put into words tonight? How, how special tonight is? And obviously he knows they're referring to Michael Jordan. And Stacey just thinks for a moment and he said, yeah, tonight was incredible. I will remember tonight for the rest of my life as the night that me and Michael Jordan combined for 70 points. <laughs> Why do I tell that story? One, because it's funny, but two, because I actually could you imagine playing when, with, yeah, with Michael time. Jordan? All right, one more example. Someone that has won so many MVPs, so many championship MVPs as the most valuable player. You know, as one of my dreams growing up, like I loved always trying to be my best and sometimes trying to be the best in something and, and trying to win it. 
trying to win that championship, trying to win most valuable player. But I remember when I was 15 years old and I was in the jungles of the Philippines on a mission trip where I had the opportunity to, to meet a boy who was born with his feet on backwards. And because of that, he was viewed as, as cursed, less than insignificant. And he was a throwaway. Literally, he was a throwaway kid. And so the only way he survived was because he had two friends that would do whatever to find food and seal food and bring it to him so he could eat. And I just remember falling in love with this boy. And I remember feeling like God was putting on my heart that he's not a throwaway to me. And he better not be a throwaway to you. And you see, that day, my, my mindset changed a little bit and my heart posture changed a little bit because I knew I, I wanted to try to be the best, to be an MVP, the most valuable player. But you see, what God was telling me to do that day is I want you to chase a different MVP. I don't want your life to just be about trying to be the most valuable player. I want it to be about loving the most vulnerable people. That's what MVP I want you to choose. Because ultimately, none of us are the most valuable player. There is one, and he came to give his life as a ransom for us. There is one MVP, but we are called to love his MVPs, which are the most vulnerable people. And your church is doing that. Your church is doing that all over the country and a lot of places around the world, loving the most vulnerable people. So much to say. <laughs> you know, I know that y'all are in the, the series of John. Even going I think we can pause it here. Touch on John. Because here he starts last... talking about the book of John. Okay, so... Before you guys start talking, I want us to take this time to discuss examples in sermons. I think that's all we heard right now for the first 13 and a half minutes, almost 14 minutes. He went through three different examples, one about the military, one about Michael Jordan, and one about him when he was 15 years old. I think it's good for us to talk about, again, we're not, I don't think we should t discuss the actual, like, how good the example was itself or, like, debate Michael Jordan but like the idea of examples in a sermon, what is their purpose? How could they be helpful? How, how should they be examples in a sermon? How could they be to the detriment of the sermon? Let's go. Would you say the three examples are related to one? It's very hard to relate the first two to the point of his message. Because if he took out two of those examples and just did the first, second or third story, could his message still be valid? I think no, me knowing ahead of time what his message already going to be, because I think he already kind of emphasized that his message is going to be about loving most vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. So I think his, because uh, that's what he's going to be talking about for mm -hmm. the most part of mm -hmm. his sermon. If that, since that's going to be his uh, avenue, I would say his third example was most relevant. Was most relevant. Yeah, yeah. And if he would have just used that instead of mm -hmm. 15 minutes in and he only used one relevant example, the first two are, I don't even know how you could keep I think the first them. two are just like warm up the crowd, bring in Michael Jordan and these I think examples are good, that, yeah. but not in the beginning necessarily. Uh, and they have to be valid to the passage for sure. They have to be valid to your sermon for sure. Um, but you need to start with the word of God. That is my opinion, not with stories. You don't, mm, I think every sermon is different and every passage is different. Some passages you can just read right away and dive right in. Some passages, especially depends on what type of sermon it is, right? So if you're doing, for instance, you're starting a new series, you're doing the book of Luke or you're doing the book of Titus your first sermon is it maybe necessarily going to be, okay, let's read the first verse and let's go in. It'll talk about the whole book in general, maybe even cover the first chapter, kind of a general overview for people to understand what we're yeah. about to get into. So there's different 
ways that you can approach. Um, even for instance, if you're approaching a certain section in the book that might be contradictory, you might be able to bring up other examples from other theologians or maybe something that could be potentially to look out for while we're reading. Bye, Charlie. <laughs> um, so so I, I think as long if if the example is used as a springboard and it actually makes sense and helps your sermon, sure. And if it has to do with the passage, yeah. I well, think his first example was, or his first uh, story about the military was not necessary, but I think it's like he was trying to warm up the crowd. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, if you read, I mean, I went to a sermon training thing in the Russian church and they say, what? you go to, you, <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Even a movie or a speech, anything they teach you, it's first is like attention grabber. Mm-hmm. You got to grab their attention and get them um, interested in your message. Mm-hmm. I think that's what he was trying to accomplish here. Had no, like the first one with the firefight, like public speaking one one. Yeah, public speaking, but like the first one didn't have much to do with anything. It was just like that wow factor. Iraq kind of had to do also with July Fourth, right? Hero. Correct. Yes, so I think maybe. he wanted to relate the actual holiday with his message. He tried to cross Which, those two. Uh, maybe I'm a little more liberal than like you or Alex, Mark, but I'm, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a just an example that has nothing to do with your sermon. Honestly, if it's like a quirky little opener, get the crowd laughing, get them engaged. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. I do think that you start, uh, you start treading a very thin line there between like wasting time and but actually because he's not like a church goer at that church. Nobody really knows. Yeah, so, kind of so it's like, I'm okay with that. Like say something quirky, make a quick joke. Introduce he's an yourself. athlete. Obviously he's an athlete. He's going to make some sort of sports jokes. That's fine. The audience will enjoy that. It'll make them a little more, it'll grab their attention. I think as a listener to, of sermons, not just this one, but of sermons in general, I do think there has to be like you as a listener have to have some sort of level of like, okay, am I listening to a bunch of stories or am I listening to God's word? Yeah. That's where, and, and I don't think necessarily we can say specifically where that mark is like mm-hmm. less than five minutes is okay anymore and you're wasting time. I think it's personal to the preacher and to the audience, but I do think that's something you should be aware of as a listener. I think his third story was more, more relevant to the sermon than any of the yeah. others. Yes, and yes. it was the shortest one, which I think if you look at it, if you divide it up into time, um, you should be spending as much time as possible to actually get your mm-hmm. mes- message across rather than getting an intro in. So 13 minutes in, we haven't read any text yet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, he somewhat already mentioned, he preached the gospel a little bit. He already mentioned a couple, I think twice that Christ has already paid the price for mm-hmm. us. So he, he, and he'll throw that in a few times going throughout. Um, but we've already 13 minutes in, we heard three stories, no text yet. And we don't know what it's about. I think, I think at this we're point starting we don't know. to get MVPs. That's all we know. Well, and most, heroes. Most we kind of talked about it, right? Most vulnerable people. The first, yeah. yeah, they kind of don't really. None of the stories really have anything to do with each other, except for the last two kind of MVP, and he switched the acronym around so that way he can kind of make a point. <clears throat> but at this point, honestly, we don't know what the sermon's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's continue. This week, and then John nine talks about Jesus meeting someone who was one of the most vulnerable, a blind man that Jesus heals, then ultimately sets free. And if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to, to John chapter 10? I think it's good that he brought up something 10. that happened in the chapter previous. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Where Jesus says, the thief comes only 
to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. You see, there are two things that stick out to me. Two things that stick out. Before he goes in, um, whenever a passage is mentioned from the pulpit, always, always a good idea to open up to it. Uh, the best would be to obviously have your Bible. Um, if you have an app or something like that as well, open up to it. And um, we always recommend reading, not necessarily always the whole chapter, but at least to read, um, you know, couple couple verses up, couple verses down, give yourself a better picture. Maybe read to the, you know how a lot of Bibles are broke down into subject. Especially if you're not familiar with the text. Right. Familiarize yourself with the text to... Um, get a better picture, but always try to open up so your eyes can reference the exact words that are coming from the Bible and that you can look around up and down and that'll be your number one key to proper discernment of what's coming from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. One, we have an enemy. You see, a lot of scholars will look at this a couple of ways and there's a, there's a little bit of a disagreement by some. Some would think that the thief is referring to religious leaders that are very self-righteous and then some scholars would think that the thief is, is actually the devil. I would say that maybe they're both right. But when you, you look at it, you can also know that can the thief going, if it is the devil, going all the way back to the garden. Um, if you're preaching, I think you should at least have concrete answers, right? So he says, some say this, some say this. I say, maybe. So I, I think it's like showing a little bit. I don't think it's wrong necessarily yeah. to say if there's division among theologians, but I think you should at least state which side you're yeah kind of if you bring it up right if yeah. you bring it up don't just say maybe yeah i agree i think just saying maybe it kind of shows your ignorance and can you be knowledge. undecided can it be one or the other can it be both well i mean if you don't that, know what the passage means should you be preaching on it that's another point of view true mm -hmm. i'm just saying if he is undecided like you said vlad like i think it also well, depends i don't think yeah, he is depends. i think he knows exactly what he yeah. what he means yeah. i think he's just saying that like hey there are people who are very educated who don't really fall in the same line here. Yeah. If you read from the chapter previous, which actually connects to chapter 10, because there's no like the next day or the following day, it's all happening at the same event. You actually see he's talking about against the Pharisees and how they were mm -hmm. um, leading, you know, the people of Israel. And so actually here he's talking against the Pharisees or the Jewish head of religion or whatever. At least he doesn't pull at Andy Stanley where he says, well, I'm not saying that the Bible's true. That's for another day. Let's go. That's going to be a fun day. <laughs> All right, let's go. These are his attributes to kill, steal, and destroy. And then also if we, you don't have to flip over, but in 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour, to steal, kill, and destroy. We have an enemy. I, I don't know if, if you've ever been on a safari or even to the zoo, but if, if, if your mind is one that you think of a lion like Simba or Nala, that's not the picture that the Bible's trying to paint. That's, that's from Lion King, guys. I don't know. Simba and Nala's from Lion King. Yes, I rooted for him. I cry every time I watch The Lion King. That's not what real lions are like, though, guys. My wife is from South Africa, and I've had the chance with her to, to see lions in, in, in person. And it is one of the most terrifying things. Like, you think, oh, my gosh, no, I'm good. I'm tough, courageous. Yeah, right. 
Wait till you were standing beside a lion or sitting beside a lion. It was just a couple months ago. We're there and we're in this Jeep and these two lions are literally walking right beside our Jeep. And then they're like kind of like scratching their heads against it. And you're like, oh my goodness. I have no choice in the matter. It is his choice only. If he wants to kill and destroy me, I don't think he wants to steal anything, but if he wants to kill and destroy me, he can do it whenever he wants. Whenever he wants. There's no choice in the matter. It is terrifying. We, we, we do have an enemy, though, that is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But you know what the Bible also says? If we resist the devil, he will flee. You see, when we were in Africa, it didn't matter what choice I made. It only mattered what choice he made. Hey, listen, I don't care how athletic you are, how much you lift, or how, you know, well, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That, it, that lion, it's his choice only. It ain't mine. But you know, with, with our enemy in the spiritual battle, the Bible says if you resist him, he will flee. So we actually do have a choice in the matter, but do you actually know that you have an enemy that you should be resisting? And then the second part of the verse, I came so that you would have life and have it abundantly. What is abundant life? Well, one way that I've heard it explained is, is what you've been saved from, but it's also what you've been saved for. What have you been saved for? To love God and to love people, Matthew 22. To go and make disciples, Matthew 28. To be witnesses to the end of the earth, Acts 1.8. To work hard for the sake of eternal crowns, 1 Corinthians 9.25. To pursue good works, which God created us for, Ephesians 2.10. To make the most of our time, Ephesians 5.16. To rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4.4. To set our mind on things above, Colossians 3, 2. See, but then verse 11. Can we pause says, right there? I am the good shepherd. Because the, then he goes into verse 11. That's a separate kind of discussion. So he, he pretty much explained verse 10 right yeah. there in those couple minutes. I do want to point out that, again, not every sermon, not every preacher is always going to do this, but I do think it is important. If you're going to pick a random verse, which as far as a listener he just said, I'm going to read verse chapter 10, verse 10 of the book of John. There was near no context to that. Agree. I, I, again, is that something that's always going to happen? I don't know if every preacher on the planet is always going to give you full context as to what's going on around the verse that he's reading. But I do think if you are picking a verse that is very like Mark, like you pointed out, this is a long conversation that is being had in these couple chapters. I do think there is some point in, letting your audience know what's going on, even if it doesn't have anything to do with what your message is, I think it is important to tell them like, hey, this is what's going on in the chapter before. This is who, you know, Jesus is talking. He's talking to these people. His disciples are here. This is what's been going on in his life at the moment. You know, just give them an idea, a sense of what is happening here. And who knows, it might actually help your sermon, which I think nine times out of 10, it will. Because if you're actually preaching his word, using more of it is never going to hurt. <laughs> it's only going to strengthen whatever message you have to say. So again, I don't think that is something to like condemn anybody for, but I do think it is important if you are listening to sermons, especially if you're listening to random sermons of people who you might not know, if this is a pastor who you know, you trust them, you trust their judgment, you trust their teachings, you trust their education, they can maybe cite off a verse and you can trust them enough to know that like, Hey, I know this guy knows what he's talking about. I'll believe whatever he's saying. But if it's a random sermon that you're listening to guys, I, I do believe there should be 
caution if a guy just blurts out a random verse and just does a whole sermon based on it, you know? Yeah, I think if he took out a few stories and actually just started from verse one and ended up in verse 10, he could have easily made three or four verses before verse 10 as, as a main focus. Mm-hmm. Or even explained the yeah, context a little He earlier. could have talked about why Jesus is talking about a shepherd, that he is the shepherd. But also he could the have door. Explained the door. He could have explained the thieves and robbers. And I think ev- even if he just covered those basic three things, he would have, verse 10 would have already been way more to understand. And he mm-hmm. wouldn't have to say, well, some say the thief is this, some say this. He would have already said, this is what verse. Um, verse seven or verse eight says about thieves and robbers, Mm. right? He says, all who came before me are. Mm. So, so obviously this is somebody that exists during Jesus speaking. And so he could have just easily said these things and it would have, it would have just given the person listening a way better picture. Mm -hmm. of And he could have even left his lion example. I thought that was a pretty good example actually, because it made you, it amplified whatever the text was saying. Right. I think that was a decent example. It amplified his viewpoint, which he says, I don't know, it could be either one or the other. Let's jump into first Peter five, eight. So he reads and talks about how the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. So then he ties that verse in with this verse and says, since the thief is the one who seeks to plunder and destroy and the devil is one who likes to devour, he kind of connects the two and says, well, the devil is really the first half of verse 10 even though in the beginning he says maybe, Mm. but I think he leads specifically saying that the first half is the devil. Um, So his example goes well with first Peter five, eight, but it doesn't go well with this text text because we don't see a lion anywhere. Mm -hmm. We see thieves, but it is, like I said, I do appreciate that he actually just jumps back into verse 11 and actually covers more than one Mm -hmm. verse. Yeah. That is a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Serge is not going to talk today, by the way. <laughs> kind of just listening. Why? <laughs> I haven't heard Serge yet. It's okay. We love your voice. Are you holding back? I am holding back. Tears. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> all right, we can keep going. He's saving it for the late, for the end. He's going to go all out. I, I will say that I do give him credit for explaining the abundantly part better than what some may have expected. He wasn't focusing hmm. on physical riches or wealth or well-being. Mm-hmm. He was specifically focusing on what God has created you for. Good works, ministry, edifying, missions. It's a good point. Praising God. Mm-hmm. And he and I'm honestly I'm actually quite surprised the amount of verses he's cross-referencing. The whole list of verses. I yeah. No. Not, and not just with this, but like even with First Peter and everything. Because usually, like at least from our Last summer review, it was just like boom. One verse. <laughs> Can we say First Peter five eight ties in with this or no? What do you guys think? Um, it sounds good. I think it's a stretch. I There's think, no direct correlation. I don't think. I don't think that we can't correlate it. Yeah, I think we can correlate it. Um, but because the the lion part, it's just an analogy. Mm-hmm. It says prowling like a lion. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say that he is a lion. It's like a lion. So mm-hmm. it's trying to give you a picture of exactly yeah. how Satan is trying to, is looking for his prey. Question. So, kill and destroy. He makes a point, says that we have a choice when the devil's around spiritually, right? To either defy him. Um, in this situation, in John ten ten, the thief, do you think the sheep have any choice in the matter? 
I think they were led astray. Well, thief comes in over. He says, doesn't go by the door. What other door? What other way do you go? You just jump over the fence, right? Right. Uh, verse one. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Mm-hmm. So, I think just, just led astray. Uh, probably not. Can't necessarily say it was their choice. They were deceived. I'm just saying but, in general. Yeah, interesting point. A good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. See, our MVP did lay down his life for a sheep. But you know the other thing about sheep is sometimes sheep can be kind of dumb. And sometimes I can be one mm. of those very dumb sheep. Mm. But it doesn't change how good our shepherd is. Still fights for us. Even when we run away. Still chases after us. Even when we leave him or try to. Still rescues us even though we don't want to be rescued sometimes. Loves us even though sometimes we think I'm not even lovable. That's what the good shepherd does. That's what our good shepherd does. Can we stop But you there? see what also stands out. Were you expecting? I saw you reaching for it already. <laughs> or were you just expecting me to say something? No, but I want to say something about that Go. MVP part. Go. Um, I personally do not like his MVP analogy. Or Two. not necessarily analogy, but him <laughs> calling Christ MVP. Which one? Because he has. I think it puts him like on the pe- level of people, right? It, Is it, that what you don't like about it? Yeah, it it doesn't paint his divinity. It doesn't mm-hmm. give him. Oh, it I had the same. For show his divinity, especially in this in these passages. Yeah. And I, and I want to bring up. Um, are you done? Because well, so, no, no, I'm just asking. Go ahead. When I think <laughs> of MVP, he just started talking. <laughs> <Alex. Don't laughs> Serge doesn't talk enough. Are you done yet? Are you done yet? <laughs> Serge, why are you talking? I love you, bro. Serge love goes you. to Go say on. something. Why I was like, are you done yet? <laughs> Jeez, that's savage. Um, Roaring lion. When I think, <laughs> dumb thief. Um, so Oops, when uh, I think of MVP, right? You think of someone that's most valuable player. So. And that when we think it's people uh, are on the same, that are the same types of people, one are just more skilled than the other, right? That's all that MVP is. He's preferred by the coaches, by the players, by the public and everything. But that's not, that's, that doesn't portray. He's still part of the same team. Yeah, but he's not just part of the team. He yeah. is the team, right? He, he is the one that did everything, right? MVP not, still make mistakes. Yeah, and they're they make mistakes, and they're human, and they're on the same level as you, uh, still. But Christ, He's so much more than that. So for me personally, I don't like an analogy of yeah. MVP. I can argue against that because <clears throat> Christ took on flesh, so He was human. But yes, I agree with you. But He was a sinless. And the thing is, yes, I don't. That's different. I don't. But think it makes he, sense for him. Yeah, I don't think yeah. He means it yeah. in a demeaning way or anything. Because right. He even does. He does emphasize the fact that we can't do anything later in the sermon. He does go on like a tangent that like we can do nothing yeah. well, to help. He already we can, said that that He rescues us when we don't want to be rescued. Yeah, yeah. Lovable. So like, and He keeps talking about. So I don't think He means it in about. I think it's just. Tim Tebow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a sports guy. My analogy is going to be sports. Yeah. I'll give him grace on that. Thanks. But I do want to stress going along with what Serge said. If we look at the text, 
if we look at the text, the most important point Jesus is making here is that he lays down his life for his sheep. Not only just rescues, not only just saves or protects. No, he lays down his life, which is something that is so above, I think, everything else. And so I think that should be the focus of what Jesus did. Not only, you know, these, I would say, smaller things. Yeah, I think his, he makes points that kind of make sense. And it's like, obviously, some sheep are dumb. Um, but that goes completely against the passage, completely against the text. I'll read from verse two, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him. The doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brings them all on his own, when he brings all his own out, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him before they know his, because they know his voice. So Mm -hmm. it's talking about how specifically the sheep know the shepherd because he is a good shepherd. That's the whole point. There's a parable that Jesus brings up um, about the lost sheep, um, but we don't see the sheep running away from the shepherd because of he's calling it. You know, they're not dumb sheep. They actually love the shepherd and they hear his voice. So his example, it's like it's cute and it kind of makes sense from like an animal's perspective, but that goes completely against the text. But he could say verse six says the figure of speech Jesus spoke to them. They did not understand what those things because they weren't his sheep. They didn't, <laughs> they were, dumb. No, they were of the dumb flock. Not also the verse flock. five says that a stranger will never follow, but flee from him because they do not know the smart sheep. strangers. Yeah. So technically you're right. The next thing he says, I want to talk about that. Right. Okay. To me here is when you know that we're there's almost an halfway, enemy, then you know that there's a good shepherd that is our savior and he's our rescuer. And what I want you to understand in this is that when you know there's an enemy and you know that there's this good shepherd, that's our savior, that's our helper, that's our rescuer in our time of need, that if you know that, which I know so many of you do, which I know so many of you do because I've been able to hear so many of your sermons. I know that so many of you love the Lord and you know that you have been rescued by the good shepherd from something you could not rescue yourself from. But did you know that also once you've been rescued, you're now on the rescue team? Can we stop? Do you think he's a coward? Just because of the sermons of the pastor, he's saying he knows they're all good shepherd or good sheep. I don't think that's a... Well, he's listened to their sermons. He's listened to... The, well, he's listened to the pastor's sermon. He can't just all, all of a sudden say, oh, I know you all love Jesus and I know you're all saved just because the pastor preaches good sermons. I think he said some of you, didn't he? Most all. of you. Well, we're going to get to that. Sorry. I was At just, the end of the sermon, that's kind of where we can talk this about is, that. I, and I'm sorry if I'm like stopping this and kind of saying, uh, this is just stuff that's going in the back of my mind. I'm like constantly like testing every word he says. So is he switching the topic slightly right now? He Do is. You guys yes. And that's, this is what I wanted yeah. to, talk, uh, to point out at least. I don't want to talk about it I don't it think he's switching. I think he's still building. He's mm-hmm. building, but this whole him switching to, you know, you've been rescued. So now you are a rescuer which is kind of what he goes into here for almost for the rest of the sermon. He kind of explains that once you know that, once you've been rescued, it's your job to go out there and help. Yeah. I, and I don't think that's a bad sentiment, and I don't even disagree with that. I yeah. agree. My issue is it has nothing to do with this text. Amen. Verse 11, which is the verse he uses to support this thought, is I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, period. That's it. This the is a hundred percent. Yeah. This is a hundred percent about 
Christ being the good Christ, shepherd yeah. and giving his life for us. There is zero here about, okay, well, now that the good shepherd has given his life, now all you sheep, go help out your brothers or go find someone who's stuck in some brambles and help him out. There's nothing about that here. I agree with that. I think that is what we're supposed to do. Once you once you find Christ, once you find the source of life, yes, we should go out there. And there's a ton in the Bible that you could have pointed out, other stories, better stories, that he could have used to kind of support that idea, you know, but yeah. this text specifically doesn't really do that. And I know it seems like, I know a lot of this, if you're listening and I, I know this because I heard from some other people, some of it just sounds like nitpicking and it's like, guys, come on, he's over-exaggerating. Just let him, let him talk guys. Like, and I understand that that might, it might come off that way, but this is important because this example might be like, okay, whatever. It's not that big of a deal, guys, whatever, let it slide. But there are a lot of preachers out there who might do this kind of thing. They'll bring up a verse and then they'll just start adding to it. And next thing you know, you're learning about something that is completely against scripture because the preacher decided to read a verse and just go off on a tangent. And it sounds all right. It sounds like it's probably true. Who am I to argue with him? I'm not going to read the text. I'm not going to read the context of it. And so now you're over here learning something that's wrong and you're going to start thinking wrong and now your whole theology could end up being swayed because a preacher went out of context and just started talking about what he thinks is true or not yeah because because chapter 10 i would say is not even about being on a support team or anything this is about who jesus is mm -hmm. period Maybe. what he did and who the sheep are because he does describe in in some way what the sheep do who they are they follow uh their shepherd so i see nothing in chapter 10 at all about being evangelizing or being mm -hmm. in a support team again, like you said, like like we all agree, it is it is a valid point. Just doesn't belong at this yes. passage. Yes, he could have just used a different passage and preached on this this whole sermon on evangelizing. But chapter ten of John does not really ring a bell. Mm -hmm. Mark, you seem pretty passionate about this. You okay? You good? You got you got something <laughs> I actually to like get off your side of Mark. I haven't heard <laughs> Mark is excited about a. Uh, it's Mark, all the sports so analogies. Mark, Mark's been surrounded by good preaching lately. So he, <laughs> picky. I remember him a year ago. He'd be like, oh, dude, it's a good sermon. I, hey. I was weeping from that example of the soldier saving um, the other soldier. I'm, I still think it's a good sermon. I'm, I'm very pro, but it's just if we're going to be Let's sitting here talking. Finish this. Save your breath. <laughs> whatever, whatever, Mark. Did you know that once <laughs> you've been rescued, you're on the rescue team? And so now when you look at this verse, do you think any differently that, man, there's an enemy, there's a lion that's prowling around that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and I need to go tell the people that have never heard that there's an enemy, but there's also a savior there's that wants no to rescue lion in this verse. So does it give you a sense of urgency to go tell the world? You see, a lot of times what this does is it's like, oh my gosh, there's an enemy, but dang, I have a savior. So now I get to live in comfort because when I think about an abundant life, I just think I have all this stuff. This is really cool. Look, I can live abundantly. I don't think that's what we're getting to. I don't want to get to that place. When I see an enemy and I see a savior, I want to go tell the world of the greatest story in the history of the world because so many people have never heard it. And guess what? Part of living an abundant life is going to tell the world about I got to hear about this man's story. And it changed my story. And guess what? If you say yes to it, it will change your story. Because there's an enemy, but there's a rescuer. And when they meet, our rescuer always wins. But have you joined the rescue team? Did you know yes, you're on the rescue team? A little over a decade ago, 
Uh, my dad was preaching at an underground pastor's conference in a remote country where, uh, where faith isn't allowed. And uh, he's, he's teaching these, these, uh, these pastors in this underground location and teaching them how to preach. And he's teaching them about God's word and where they're at. They, some other people come into this location and they start auctioning off four girls for sale to a bunch of people there that aren't good men that were looking to, to buy these young girls and do terrible things to them. And my dad, he didn't go for this reason. He's there to teach these pastors. But this interrupts what they're doing, and he can't help but do something. He sees this, and it's one of the reasons my dad's my biggest hero and role model, because he's that person that he can't not act. And so he takes out all the money in his wallet, which was $1,250, and he purchases the freedom of these four girls. And so he calls me, and I said, hey, Dad, how's the trip going? He's like, oh, it's, it's pretty good. And I was like, well, what's going on? He said, uh, Timmy, I just... I just I bought four girls. <laughs> it's not a normal conversation. I said, Dad, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he tells me the story. And you see, that day my eyes were open to something that I really wasn't aware of. But I knew I was called to it once I heard it. And so not long after that, I got on a plane and I'm flying to this country and I'm like, you know, thinking this is the movie Taken or something. And, you know, you, you get there and <laughs> you find out that so many of these, these girls that been going through this evil, it wasn't by, I mean, there's a, a lot of evil things that take place, but honestly, so many of them were sold by their parents, siblings, uncles, aunts. One of the young girls that was a part of the, the first safe home, and that first group of girls, you think, you know, all these, these mafia-like people and corrupt organizations did it, and no, it, it was her mom. She didn't make enough money one day that she, when she comes home, her mom's so frustrated with her that she takes her and boils out her eye. Do you know why I look up to my dad so much? It's because he couldn't help. He knew he was called. And he couldn't not do something. He had to act. And because my dad acted, it opened my eyes to something. And now we're fortunate to be able to serve these girls and boys all around the world and trying to rescue as many as possible. But you know what's disappointing about that story? Is at that table with my dad, who was he with? Other pastors. Other pastors. Do you know how many of them raised their hand and say, I, I want to be part of it, or let me help, or let me help build a safe home, or let me call some people to get help? None of them. And you know what? Some would, would have their excuses of why. Well, I don't want to give this money to bad men. They're going to do other bad things. Yeah. That's probably true. But say it to those four girls. You see, what I believe is part of living an abundant life is knowing that you've been rescued from, but you've also been rescued for a great purpose, a great plan. You know what purpose means? The reason something is done, used, created, or exists. You weren't created. You don't exist to just hang out. So just meander through life. You were created for a purpose. God has a mission and a plan for your life. It's what we talk about in Ephesians 2.10, the good works which God prepared beforehand, the poem that he wrote about your life before you were ever born. And it's not just to be saved from something, it's saved for something, for good works, to be on the rescue team, to tell people, to love people, to care for people, to help people. 
You see, for some reason, in God's master plan, he wants us to be co-laborers with him. Not because we deserve it, but because he wants it. And you might feel, well, I, I don't feel adequate enough. You know what? Neither do I. I don't feel deserving enough, but you know what? I'm not. Say, so, well, you know, I don't feel equipped enough. Gosh, that's most every day for me. But it doesn't change what he has asked and what he has commanded us to do. I think he's doing actually a pretty good job so yeah, far. I think. In terms of um, reminding us that we are not here to be bench warmers and we are not to be self-serving in, in a church. Honestly, this is my third time listening to it. I feel like this would be actually a pretty good sermon if he just chose a different passage. Yeah. I feel like his these examples are great. After he went through his first two, since then they've been all great examples, I think. They're all personal, but also related to the what he's trying to talk about. They're all kind of spiritual in a sense. They're examples. They're not necessarily from bi- the Bible, but they are spiritual in a sense. Missionary trips, you know, different things they were doing. I, I really think that if he just chose a different passage, maybe a passage that focused more on evangelizing, I think the whole sermon would have been different. Yeah. This is the fifth story he's already told. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but again, I think this one really helps to open up a, to really helps identify what his sermon's about, mm-hmm. right? Although he personally- Or what he's trying to say, his yeah, main his, point. His he main didn't point. necessarily go out there and say, okay, my sermon's gonna be about this, right? This is my topic, here's my three bullets, right? He didn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't do that. But I mean, kind of from the beginning where he said that, uh, he's saying that God doesn't want you to be the MVP of your church or anything. He wants you to love MVPs, most vulnerable yeah, people. Yeah. So from there, like I already started to kind of hint for myself, okay, he's probably going to be talking mm-hmm. about reaching out to the dirt of the earth, what some people might consider to the most people that have nothing and, you know, I'm suffering uh, that m- most in America probably are not even aware of. Mm-hmm. So I think so far up to this point, um, I think he's been pretty, doing a pretty good job. He did mention how once he heard that story from his dad, he felt the conviction that this is what God was calling him for. Mm-hmm. So I, I give him props to that, the fact that he was able to identify his calling pretty quick um, just from that one story. Um, yeah, I I think he he's doing, it's more of a testimony and there's nothing wrong with testimonies and it's always good to call people to, Uh, for action. Not everyone is called to missionary overseas ministry and saving little boys and girls. Um, So it's not, doesn't apply to everyone, but it is a good calling for us to uh, do the Lord's work as we could say. But I think maybe we'll go, go towards it. What you said from the beginning uh, when he said all those three stories in the beginning, I was lost because I'm kind of used to, sermons where nothing makes sense. And I was like, is this going to be another one of those sermons that don't make sense? When he got to this point, I started to link and the three together and I was like, okay, I kind of get it almost like, I still don't see how the first two stories link to this about Michael Jordan. And the third one was the the third one. Yeah. (laughs) The second one, the MVP Michael Jordan was in order for him to introduce MVP. And then he was like, and then he's like, oh, but we shouldn't be worried about the, we shouldn't be MVPs, but we should care about MVPs. That's, that's, that was his transition. Seven minutes to introduce that. Yeah. And and the first one was just about July 4th. I don't think that had anything to do with. And uh, (laughs) for, again, what you said, this has nothing to do with the passage that he read. 
Um, so it seems like he already has an agenda or a point in mind and he kind of tried to pick a verse that would get his point across, which I'm not for that kind of preaching. Yeah. His message is good. What he's actually talking about is good, but this grabbing this verse and trying to make his point when it has absolutely nothing to do with it, I would disagree with. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the story of uh, the Good Samaritan, Jesus looks at this expert of the law after he finishes telling him about the story of the Good Samaritan. Bible and he looks at him I was just going to say, says, Go this is what he should have used for this sermon. About? Yep. People that are beaten and left for dead. Like the person that the Good Samaritan helped. He said, as a command, go and do the same. You see, Jesus was on a rescue mission for humanity, but he's also asked us to be on a rescue mission for people that are hurting. For people that need you. Can I say something? Not to turn away, not to look down, not. not to make an excuse, but to raise your hand and say, I'm gonna step up, I'm gonna step into this fight because I believe that they're worth it. Nothing, nothing for that. Um, one of the reasons, and it's kind of clicking to me now, he mentioned that they are currently going through the book of John. So I think maybe for some reason he was like, okay, let me try to find something relevant. So he picks a verse that's a couple, one or two chapters ahead because they were going over John 8 or John 9 at the time. Um, I think that kind of, I was, this is my first thought was like, they're going over the book of John and you're just going to go ahead and pick something that they're probably going to cover in like four or five weeks. I don't know if that's going to be good. That might be disruptive. Um, and for me, thinking about it now, if the pastor was preaching expositionally and going verse by verse, how do you, how do you go and say, well, technically what Tim Tebow said was not according to the passage. So actually let's go into it. Like, you know what I mean? I think by the time they get there, they're going to forget about it or hope that he's going to forget about it. Well, they forget about it. Maybe, but that's not kind of the whole point, right? Is yeah. like, I'll be reading through the gospel um, of Mark and I'll be remembering the sermons that my pastor went through certain passages are like, oh yeah, that's a good point. And I, I remember because it's verse by verse and that's kind of one of the beautiful things about expository preaching is you can actually remember some of the things that were being said in the sermons and points that were made. Yeah. Do you know what the, the value of something is? what someone is willing to pay. That's what, the, that's what the value is. It's only what someone is willing to pay. Do you know how valuable your life is? Really valuable, why? Because what Christ was willing to pay, his life. So therefore, when you understand how valuable you are, it also should inspire you to understand how valuable every other life is as well. You see, I want you to walk around with confidence, confidence in knowing that you are fearfully, wonderfully made. You are one of one. You have a great mission, you have a great purpose. Because when you understand that, you also understand that every single person you see, every single person you come in contact with has the same value. Was also created in love, by love, and for love. That when Jesus died on the cross, it also counted for them. When I was 15 years old, I was, uh, I was in a, another country in, in Southeast Asia, and I had the chance to go in with one of my big brothers to a, a prison there. And I remember uh, walking into where the officers were, and they had on a chalkboard why everybody was in that prison, what they had done. And it was murder, murder, rape, homicide, drug dealer, all down the list. And, 
And then you, the prison was just one concrete huge block and no cells, one door that you enter um, and exit out of. And that was the prison. All these guys were just packed in there, just standing shoulder to shoulder. And I was like, dang, we're going to go in there and preach? And I'm trying to act tough, but I just wasn't. And I, but I didn't want my brother to know. And so he's like, all right, let's go in. So we, we walk in, and I'm just like, my head's down. And, you know, and my brother walks in front of me, and he walks to the other side of the prison. And even the, all the correction officers, they wouldn't walk into prison. And I was like, oh, gosh. And we walk all the way to the back, and um, there's this little white bucket. And I flip it over. I sit on it. And my brother is standing right in front of me, and he's sharing the gospel with all these inmates. And he's going through the good news of the gospel. And he gets to where Jesus is on the cross. And he looks at all these inmates who were in there for murder and rape and a lot of terrible things. And he says, hey guys, hey guys, I just want you to know. I want all of you to know. I want you to know. I want every single one of you to know that I nailed Jesus to the cross. And I'm sitting on this bucket. I look up at him like, what are you talking about? No, you didn't. If any of them did, they did. You know, like, what are you talking about? You didn't, they did. And he said it again. No, no, I just want you to know. I nailed Jesus to the cross. And I remember just feeling like God was pricking my heart, saying, no, Timmy. No, I feel it was just you. I would have gone to the cross for you. That's how much I loved you. I did it for every single one of them, but I did it for you. I did it for you. You see, guys, the gospel means good news. And the good news is that I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I'm not a hero. I'm not an MVP. It's like what Pastor Bruce said, but we do have one. You see, we have an enemy, but we have an MVP that came through for us on our behalf, even when we don't deserve it, even when we didn't earn it. And that's why today we get to celebrate our physical freedom here in our amazing country, but we also get to celebrate our spiritual freedom because our MVP came through even when we didn't love him, even when we didn't thank him, even when we didn't deserve it because he loved us that much. And what he did on the cross accounted for every single one of us. It's what the angel said. It's a good news, a great joy that should be for all the people. For all the people. Does he believe all people will be saved? Have you told anybody? <laughs> if you know it, which I know so many of you do. It's like, the, it's like a second or third time mentioning it. Are you going to also remember that you're on the rescue team? Are you going to go tell, tell the story because you believe it counts for them too? You see, I believe that there's some people here that... You've never made that decision. You've never made that decision to say yes to Jesus because you believe what he did on the cross counted for you. And you know what? Today will be that perfect day to meet a perfect savior, to say yes to him. But I also believe maybe there's some people here that you've said yes to Jesus, but maybe you've never realized that you're also on the rescue team. And maybe you will say, you know what? I just, I want to commit to, to acting like I'm on the rescue team, not, just be, not because I'm equipped, but because I'm called. And do you know what calling means? It means an urgent and divine invitation to take responsibility for a particular task. Are you going to take responsibility to tell the world, but also tell your family, tell your friends, tell your school, tell your neighborhood? Are, are you going to take responsibility because you're, even though you might not feel equipped, but you know you're called and commanded. In the Great Commission, 
to the expert of the law, go and do the same? Are you going to say, yeah, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to go tell people because I'm reminded. And now I know I'm on the rescue team because of what he did. I get to go tell his story and how his story interrupted my story. I had the, um, our team had the opportunity to meet in a, be part of an amazing young girl's um, rescue who had been gone through some serious evil for six years. And every night, this young girl from the age of nine to 15 would be exploited by her family, her friends, other people that would pay to watch it from all over the world, mostly America. And by the way, mostly middle-aged Caucasian men. And in the middle of her terror and evil, one night she, she writes this. Rescue me, help me. Monsters are chasing, can't you see? Monsters are whispering, can't you hear? Monsters are shouting, you're nothing. Can't you feel my pain? Monsters are pushing, end it all, just jump. Can't you hear all the whys I'm asking? Monsters are laughing, you're all alone in this. Can someone please rescue me? You see, we have a rescuer, but also you're called to be a part of that team. For every boy and every girl that are going through this evil, you know who also can be an answer to their prayer? You, you can. Yes, we have an enemy, and he prowls around like a roaring lion, but we also have a greater lion that's on our side, that is our hero, that is our MVP, that is our rescuer. Are you willing to say, yes, I'm part of the team. I believe what Jesus did, but I'm also going to act on it, because the greatest form of love isn't a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice Jesus made for us. Best definition I've ever heard is choose the best interest of another person and act on their behalf. It's what Jesus did for us. But are you willing to do that for other people? Because it's one thing to know about God's love. It's a whole other thing to be willing to show God's love. Um, again, so far, I think he's doing a, a decent job. He's starting to get pretty repetitive, I think. Um, emphasizing the same point over and over and over again. Um, with the thing with the lying, you being on the rescue team, did you answer the call? But then, are you going to answer the responsibility? We don't see anywhere him bringing up that God is a lion because he's like enemies are roaring lion. But we also have a lion. Yeah, and I think he's just referencing that you know Christ lion of Judah. Lion of Judah. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I don't think uh, he's just. I, I assume he assumes that's assumed knowledge. But at the same time, sure, it's an analogy, right? Uh, the thing is. Uh, are you done? Sorry. I'm not done. You can go ahead. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. like, I just want to talk. That's going to be the new thing. Yeah, yeah. let's continue this Every time, no, every time search talks. Are you done? Are you done? <laughs> finish your thoughts, man. Come on, hurry up. You'll never see me here again. <laughs> go ahead, Mark. Okay. <laughs> um, we, I do like that, like we were talking about from Regard, disregarding the first two examples, since then it's been good examples. They're all related to what he's trying, the message he's trying to share here. On an, on another note, it's been a while since he's brought up any passages or any scripture, which again, I, I know we, it sounds like a broken record when we keep saying these things over and over, but that is important, guys. Whoever's listening to this, it is important that a sermon is based around scripture. I understand that these examples are great, and these people, his, his dad, he's talking about his brother, him going on missionary trips. 
that could be more than I've ever done in my lifetime or who you listening to this. But at the end of the day, when you're listening to a sermon, getting a bunch of personal life examples are good, but I know how bad this sounds, but it doesn't really amount to anything. It makes you emotional for a little while. You might get motivated for a bit and maybe, yeah, maybe some good will come of it, but true change, actual change of your heart comes from the word of God. It comes from Christ himself. And so bringing up these examples are great, but nothing is going to change a blackened heart except for Christ. And Christ is only going to be found in scripture. Only his word has that power. And so when you're listening to these sermons, it feels good. I got goosebumps when he was telling that story. It's great. I love it. It's really good stuff there. But without God's word, it's just a story that another sinner on stage is saying. And that applies to me. That applies to the pastor I listen to. It applies to whoever you are, wherever, whatever church you go to. Anything that your preacher says that is just personal is just that. It's personal. Only the word of God can actually change someone's heart. And he's kind of going into that, into a a call of repentance. And I think it's important to emphasize the word of God because he's going to call them to repentance. And yet, where is, where is God's word in that calling? You know, he might, he hasn't mentioned sin. He might like casually maybe reference something, but I, I think that is something important. If you are listening to sermons, that's something to keep out. That's something that I was going to say too. Sorry, Serge. <laughs> I was. You can go first. I'm just sitting here. Sorry, no, I know. So I know. Much. I know. You were rudely interrupted before. I don't want to do that to you. No, it's fine. I'm good. I'm, I'm done. just kidding. I've already done that plenty. Um, he. One thing he mentioned was love is not a feeling; it's a choice. And this whole time, he's playing on your feelings, bringing up all these stories with no scripture. I think this is a very good. Um, Ted talk. It's yeah, it's a very good. I, I wouldn't say it's a Ted talk. I would uh, say it's uh, definitely more than a Ted. Yeah. Well, it's a very good, uh, presentation, Sorry. but it's a very bad sermon. So let's get, I wouldn't say it's a bad sermon. It's a dude. very bad sermon. No. <laughs> so here, here, let's stop guys. This is not an expository, um, sermon and he's not a pastor preacher, right? If you're not, if you're not preaching the word, it's not a sermon. So it's a, he is preaching the word, just not the word he picked. Right. So him coming in, him coming in, he had a message he wanted to bring. He had a theme in his, in his heart that he wanted to relay. And what he did is he had a theme and he brought passages to support his theme, mm-hmm. not the so motivational around. speech. That's the word that I was looking yes. for. It's very yeah. good. It's motivational. It's not a sermon. Yeah. My, but uh, what we, but what we teach and we viewpoint. always say is correct is that the passage leads the message, right? You take the passage and you let the passage lead the message. Let's let him finish. And this is the other four word. minutes left. Yeah. Passage is gone already. It, it was on a trailer and the trailer My detached. Here today <laughs> is for so many of you that know it, you've accepted Jesus, but also you would say, you know what? I'm also gonna be willing to be about it. However you're called, whatever responsibility you're gonna accept for hurting people around the world that need you to say yes, because you have a chance to be an answer to their prayer. In a moment, I would like to lead you in a prayer, and if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, as your good shepherd, as your rescuer, I'm gonna ask you to, if you would like to repeat that prayer after me. It's the best decision you'll ever make. 
And I also want to ask all the people here that you already know Jesus. I'm also going to ask you to repeat that prayer out loud with me so that all the people that yes, are there's no piano for the first music time, in the whether back. here, True. Good point. watching from another campus or watching from Oregon, home, know that they're not in this alone. And there's a body of believers that are here ready, willing to do life with them, not a building they come to on Sundays, but a body of believers that are in it with them, for them, that are ready so that they don't have to go at this thing alone. So if you say, yeah, Timmy, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus. Let's make that decision right now. If you bow your heads and close your eyes and nobody looking around, that's the best decision you will ever make. Let's say yes to Jesus right now. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I put my faith in you. And I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me and rescue me for all that I've done wrong. Thank you for forgiving me and rescuing me. I love you. I thank you. I want to live for you. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around it, if you just prayed that prayer with me, on the count of three, would you raise your hand? Glad to put your hand down. <laughs> So if you just prayed that prayer with me for the first time to accept Jesus in your heart as your rescuer, and you are now my new brothers or sisters in Christ, and I want to see my new brothers and sisters. So on the count of three, if you just prayed that prayer with me, would you raise your hand? One, God loves you. Two, he has a great plan for your life. Three, would you just raise your hand? With every eye closed, head bowed, got many hands going up all over the room and hopefully even at different campuses and at home. You can now put your hands down. Jesus, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor Bruce. Thank you for every single person here. And when you died on the cross, it counted for all of us. That's the good news of great joy that should be for all the people. And thank you that this morning. There were people that heard that good news and accepted it. And we want to welcome them into the family of God. And I want to thank you for every single person here that also has, has known about your rescue mission for humanity. And, and I want to thank you for their lives, but I also want to ask that all of us, that we wouldn't grow tired and weary, but we would remember that we're also part of the rescue team. Even though sometimes we don't feel like it, sometimes we don't feel equipped, but... You have called us. You've commanded us. And there are so many hurting people around the world that need us to go tell them, to go show them the love of the Father. Let us not, let us not be people that just know about it. Let us be people that are willing to show it, to bring it, to tell it the greatest story of all time, the greatest message of all time, the greatest rescuer of all time. Thank you that we get to be on your team, on your side, that the enemy doesn't win, that you win, that you overcame the world, that yes, we will face troubles, trials, and tribulation, but we get to take heart because you overcame the world. Let us take heart 
when it gets hard. Let us take heart. When we face these trials and tribulations, let us take heart, even when we don't feel like it. Because we get to look back at the cross and remember it counted for us, that you defeated death, that you defeated sin, that you defeated hell. And we could go tell the world that message. We love you. And we're so grateful that even in the midst of us turning our back, of falling short over and over again, you didn't. And you never stopped loving us and you never will. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can I add something towards the last part of his message? So, um, obviously, a red flag to when you ask a congregation to say a prayer with you. Um, I think another red flag even before he did that for me was he said that you um, have to be on the rescue team. So give your life to Jesus and be on the rescue team. Well, I don't think it necessarily works in that easy order. Um, I want to remind, remind everybody, we're going through Luke right now in our church. And when John the Baptist was preaching, one of his um, main points that he said to all the people coming to be baptized and uh, him preaching repentance, they came to him. And in verse eight, he said, therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham our father. For I say to you that though that these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Um, he, he really made that point to them saying, Hey, repentance is not only an act that you will do right now. You have to have bearing fruits with it. But at the same time, they, they hear that he says that, and obviously that touches them. And so it says that in verse 10, the crowds were questioning him saying, then what should we do? They wanted to know what action they should take forth um, after repentance. And he said to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none and he who has food do likewise. So his first example was your actions should be your uh, now straying away from sin. You now don't do sinful things, but you are helping somebody, right? This is kind of what he was talking about, um, helping. And then we see that the what tax What do you mean collect- by he was talking about helping? Well, well when uh, he, was he was talking, talking about, about rescuing. Rescue. Rescue. Right. Okay. Um, and then... W- then the tax collectors, right? They, they were touched and they said, teacher, what should we do in verse 12? And what does he tell them? Collect no more than what you have been ordered, um, ordered to. And so that touched them because they knew that they were taking in a lot more than they should have, right? They were taking money for themselves and that's why they had a bad reputation. Tax collectors did. Um, so there was sin and he, he's giving them an example. This is what you need to stop doing. And the last example I want to bring up is still in this passage. The soldiers were questioning John and they said, what should we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or exhort anyone or be content with your wages. So my point being here is there is bearing fruits that have to keep up with repentance. So if he is to call a congregation to repentance, um, not only does he need to tell them that Jesus died for your sins, but with this, you with with believing in Christ, you need to put away your sin, put away your sinful things. Yeah, that was not mentioned. He's also pointing out their sins too, which he never right. really did. He kind of said, you have to be on the rescue team. Now pray this prayer. So right. he never talked about sin. He never really actually talked about uh, Christ falling short, Christ's crucifixion yes. or his redeeming power. He never talked about the resurrection, which has to do with the gospel. So he never actually fully portrayed the message of the gospel, which I think he actually fell short in that regard. 
To fully um, explain the gospel, you need to explain the state of who you are. You especially to, if there's the first time they ever heard exactly, this message. Exactly. You know what I mean? The, if, if you didn't hear the full message of the gospel. Yeah. Your main, your main point is not to get ready to be on the rescue team, go out there, accept Jesus and go. No, you need to, if you, if you are accepting Jesus, you need to let go of your sinful life. And so I think that at least needs to be mentioned um, because that is, that is what's going to really uh, touch a person's heart. Right. He, he didn't present the gospel. He, he did not prescribe to them the diagnosis that your sin, um, you're separated from God. And then here's a savior. He just said, here's a savior. You fought, and he didn't mention sin. He just said, what did he, he save you from? Yeah. And then he said, are falling short and not living up to God's standard. Yeah. And that's, that's not, I'm sorry, but that's not the gospel. No. And he did not present it. And another huge red flag for me is after everybody repeated, he said, if you repeated this prayer for your first time, you're, not my you're now my brother and my sister. Yeah. That is huge. And that there's nowhere in the Bible you will find that. I challenge you to go find that in the Bible. You will not. Because repeating a prayer after Tim <laughs> does not save you. I agree. Yeah. When even... Uh, when Peter said the first sermon in Acts, um, they said, what must we do? And he said, repent and believe and be baptized. So they did repent. They were baptized, I think. But he did actually talk about sin. He did talk about the Savior and about his redeeming work. So I think there's a difference there too. So overall, what are they saved from? What are they saved into? If the people, if this is the first time they heard this message, I think nobody really knows. I feel like it was just kind of, it was out of left field, just going on that, like, which if you know those types of churches, that's just every service always ends with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, regardless of what the message is, it it's always ends with a call to altar, which we can go on a, we can have a whole 10 part series on call to altars and how that's supposed to happen and who should call and is there a calling or whatever. There's a lot. I think aside from that, just keeping that part out, because I think that's more of a church thing than even like a Tim Tebow thing. Aside from that, I don't, again, I know Mark, you said you didn't think it was, you don't think it was a sermon at all. I do think it was a sermon. I think it wasn't, I, I wouldn't even say it was bad. It was, I just think it was very poorly planned. I think it was poorly planned. There, there was a lot of things that could have changed. The thing is to me, I don't think there is a perfect outline for a sermon. And I'm positive, I'm positive, Mark. If I took the past year of your pastor's sermons, I'm positive I can find sermons where he chose a little too many examples that don't have anything to do with the scripture. I challenge or, you. Or there's, there's certain <laughs> times, I'm positive <laughs> I can. Or he made jokes about just like family life. Like, sermons, and, that's, and I don't think that's jokes, wrong. Like I stories think and jokes. It's very subjective. I, it's very subjective. And I would say that he did open up the scripture. I think the scripture that he did open up, he did explain it well. He built off of it in the wrong direction. That's a different. That's a different topic. But the actual scripture itself, I didn't hear anything that I would say is completely wrong or, or completely heretic. Well, he just went in the wrong, wrong direction. And so, to me, again, if you're listening to this, I don't think, like, I, I do think it's a red flag. It's something you should be mindful of. That if a pastor or if a preacher reads a passage and starts talking about something else, that is something you should be aware of. In this case, though, I don't think it was. He didn't even Can say I, anything yeah. wrong. Can I say what I said? or in defense of what I said, I tend to be a little, uh, Are you done? extreme, straightforward. 
straightforward. And sometimes it's like, well, obviously it was a sermon, Mark. Why do you say it wasn't a sermon? I think within a church, there's probably only two different ways that it could be as acceptable for what he said, but a good chunk of it would have to be ripped out. Uh, Rip out John 10. Um, I think it would be good for him as sharing um, missionary night, talking about the service that he does also as a good testimony and maybe even a calling to um, do ministry and say, Hey, this is what we're doing. If you know, you feel like this is God's calling you to this call, uh, hit, hit us up. Let's join. But then together. you would say it's not a sermon. Exactly. I think it was a sermon, obviously, but um, I believe that he missed the point completely. So it was from that regard, it was a bad sermon. He didn't say anything from what I could tell. Absolutely heretical but he missed that first Peter five, eight and he tied it with this. And I don't think those two uh, go together or first Peter five, eight doesn't explain John 10, 10. That's kind of my stance on it. And I think he missed the point and made claims and remarks about John 10 and John 10, 10 through 11 that were incorrect to the passage or to the text. And we, we mentioned on these points. Mm -hmm. So from, from that standpoint alone, that's why I say, it wasn't a very good sermon. Now it was, there wasn't anything, like I said, heretical from what we've heard. Um, I'm just used to, this is, this is the kind of stuff that I grew up and most likely this is probably something he, I'm pretty sure he did much better than I did. Um, like 12, 15 years ago when I was at the pulpit at my Russian church, I'm sure I said a lot worse things that were completely incorrect and used passages completely out of context. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying like, Tim Tebow's the worst. I see his passion for it. Yeah. Um, I'm not doubting his salvation in any way. I see that he actually loves Jesus, is, loves Jesus and is doing this wholeheartedly. I just feel like he's not a preacher. He's not a preacher or he, um, he needs to understand what a good sermon actually is. Like take hermeneutics, go through and actually understand this is how you preach a sermon. I mean, I'm impressed with how he did this entire sermon with no notes. He was just going off of his. That is true. He walked up. If you watch the video, which I encourage everybody to do, but he he walks up to the pulpit once, and I think that was during the time when he listed off a few verses mm -hmm. to yeah. support, mm -hmm. um, and everything else. Was and from then memory, he read yeah. that poem from his phone. Yeah, but. which is impressive. I think what Mark's trying to say is his message was good, but he stepped into the boundary of a sermon, and when you go into the realm of a sermon. That was not a good thing. There's, there's, no, there's, there's a high bar. There's a standards, right? Yeah. Um, and no, not everybody achieves them 100%. I, I'm not saying that. But if you go into the world of teaching God's word from a pulpit at a church, there is things you need to be aware of and doing, not just giving a good message. Mm -hmm. And our job here is to review this sermon and point those little things out. So we, when we do listen to a message like this, we can see, okay, this is obviously not expository. This is where he's going with this. And we can pick up mm -hmm. where he's falling short and what he's doing good. So when we walk away from this episode, next sermon we do here, we can put those tests to every sermon. Serge, round table, you're up. I agree. <laughs> Are you done? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, he did read the word. Um, I don't think he fully dove in. And again, I might be repeating this. He didn't fully dive in and give us a good hermeneutical 
approach to the word. He didn't really exegete the passage. Um, and he did bring up Jesus, but there wasn't, the sin factor wasn't there. He didn't tell people about their sin. He just said, hey, you need to turn to Jesus. And um, come on the team. So, so very questionable, but I think, I think he, you know, he hit the targets just very poorly. I have a question for you guys. Since all you guys said, this is such a huge red flag. The call to altar that he did at the end, do you think that there's people that earnestly and wholeheartedly answer that call? I didn't say it was a red flag. We cannot judge that. Yeah, we don't know that. We can't judge people's hearts. I would say, I would say yes, very possible, but that doesn't, uh, that doesn't mean that that's the way to do it. It's It's not that simple. That was my point was it's not that simple. That would only be under the impression that they already knew what sin was. They knew why Christ came. They knew the gospel message. They knew all of this. And maybe for some reason uh, or the Holy Spirit touched their hearts and they understood that they were sinners Mm -hmm. in that regard. Yes. Um, From his message alone, that would be hard to say because the Holy Spirit still works. (laughs) So you know what I mean? So if he did all of that, that you just talked about, and still did the same type of call to altar, would that still be a red flag for you? That's uh, putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> okay, fine. Would that be a red flag his, for anyone? <laughs> I think his approach was for the call to altar was wrong. Yeah, yeah. That I, was the wrong way to call to altar and to say, if you pray. What would be the right way? Because that's kind of something that we've been well, hearing I, I mean, or I talking brought about. It up. I'm used to that kind of call to altar. Yeah, I kind of brought it up. If you need to first speak of Jesus and, and John 10 was perfect. He talks about the good shepherd laid his life down for his sheep. No, no, no. We're not talking about the message. We're talking about the actual physicality. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so he, 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 that's what I'm saying. He could have referenced that as well. No, I know. But like, do you, do you raise your hand? Do you say the prayer? How is specifically would a good call to altar be? Uh, I think it would be the introduction of who, who a sinner is that needs to be said, what Jesus did. And then, but, but to, to tell a person what to do, um, I think that's up to the the person has to say that in, in his own prayer, but I think, Hey, come up, come up after and meet us. Let's talk to to a pastor. Talk to me. Yes. So I can, so I can guide you further because it's not just a simple, okay, I'm going to pray to myself. I'm good. No, there's more direction and, and God puts pastors and preachers there for, for guidance. And so he still needs some type of further guidance. Like, Hey, try going, you know, reading this or, or, or there needs to be an interaction. A hundred percent. Conversation. Needs to There's be churches yes. that do an altar call similar to this, but they say, if you pray this prayer, the prayer does not save you. If you did pray this prayer, come up to Meaning just repeating the words does yeah. not save you. Okay. Now we're not part come of that. Up, I was yeah. just like, I'll I'll part of that like what's the point of even They would it. say, come up to a pastor yeah. and announce that you did, you know, want to repent. And then they work with you and they yeah. disciple you. And we're not that. part of that church. We don't know. Maybe after that service, they have ushers or, or deacons who are watching these people raise their hands and maybe they'll go and approach them and speak with them after. We don't know, but I'm saying from the pulpit, it should be a clear direction, right? Everything should be brought up. And then if you are, if you are truly saved, come see. Why is that wrong? This approach for me, the one thing that comes to mind is it gives people a false assurance. Uh, Yep. Cause Um, you're in the moment. 
Yeah. You're in the moment. I've been in that moment many, many times. Many times. Yes. And and when people say it's it doesn't affect you, oh yeah, it does. Yeah. Especially hearing those few stories, hearing it from an Especially individual Especially with like the music. Him, um, you are going to be in the moment. And so that's why you need to know what you're doing. Bro, Virginia conference, I was out there <laughs> weeping, um, getting the carpet wet <laughs> every <How>? year. <laughs> yeah. And I still wasn't saved. And it, like you said, false assurance. And I know we, we know people, friends who say, oh, I went up, I repented, went to the altar call. My life didn't change. And then years later, they give a testimony that they actually got saved years later. Yeah. And that's proof that the altar call. Did we answer your question, Serge? Are we going in the right, like, is the train moving in the right direction as to what you were trying to? Or ha has it come close to your direction? <laughs> I mean, or did I was, the rail? I'm not going to say whether you guys answered right or wrong. You know, I think it's a, a subjectively opinionated question. Mm -hmm. um, but I like to hear your opinions. Yeah. Like, again, I, I want to say. You, I just want to emphasize, I think we have to be very careful how we criticize something being absolutely wrong or absolutely right. Mm hmm why I would we say red flag? Yeah, I personally can't say that that type of altar call is absolutely wrong. Yeah. Because I believe Christ can still do it in spite of the altar call. Mm -hmm. um, I will agree that it's not the most wisest or maybe not even the most biblical, but I can't say that it's absolutely wrong. I don't think we said the altar call was a red flag. No, mm -hmm. I think the comment. No, I think that was said. That was. Oh, you mean the comment when he said you are now brothers and sisters? Yeah, that's what I was referring to. I did okay. not. The altar call, I mean, what you're saying. Exactly. The actual act of the altar call is the not actual, what's wrong. It's, yes. It's the approach and how it was done. The yeah, context of what I don't say, It's saying that you are now a brother and sister if you repeated this prayer, which is... I wanted to thank Alex for uh, more eloquently saying what I was trying to say because I know I was very harsh and step forward or harsh and straightforward. Uh, so thanks, Alex. Well, overall, this is a sermon review and um, we hope you enjoy it. We hope you enjoy listening to this. And again, uh, this is a practice, a practice not only for us, practice for you as a listener. Um, practice, think about these things when you are hearing God's word. Um, obviously, don't think that everything is, every sermon is going to be perfect. Uh, you're not going into this to critique everything. You're only going to see, is God's word really being taught? If so, is it being taught properly? And if you have questions, we urge you to go and ask questions, If especially from the preacher point, right? If he preaches something and you just don't understand it, go go talk to him about it. Ask him, hey, why do you understand this way? This is a, a conversation that needs to be had. Um, but don't go into the, to this, like we said from the beginning, with the assumption that you will understand everything and that everything preached is 100% truth. Only truth is God's word. Everything else we have to discern, correct? Amen. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for giving us uh, the sermon we were able to listen to and um, uh, the passage that we were able to read. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to hopefully help people understand and hopefully be a blessing. We see that sometimes we say things we don't mean to say, and Lord, we ask for your forgiveness, and uh, we thank you for giving us wisdom and knowledge, and we ask that you give wisdom and knowledge to every single person who might be in a bench listening to a sermon from a pulpit. and to exercise the proper steps and to really open up God's word and really try to understand it and listen to the message being preached so that it may edify them. Thank you so much for all that you do. May your name be praised. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope God was able to speak to your heart so now you can go and share it with others. Feel free to leave any questions, prayer requests, or blessings. 
Join us on Instagram and share our podcast with others. And remember, always keep your heart in scripture.